We're going to be reading, reading in verse 6. We'll read through the end of the chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as we really try to finish up this two-chapter set uh, with regard to our giving that has a lot more to do with than just with our finances. And so we're going to see some of that truth here. We're also going to try to reveal and deal with some of the issues that have been raised by people's misuse of some of the Scripture. So let's go ahead and read. And I'll bring on the New King James Version. This is my custom, Second Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 6. It says, But this I say, He who, spare, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written. He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Last night, following the skate park ministry, Pastor Silcock, every Sunday night, Evangelist Silcock comes over to my house to have a little time fellowship with me and to let me know how things went and, and uh, just kind of a pre-Sunday chat, and it's always fun to have those. Last night we had a little conversation, and uh, in the midst of that, I said something that I'm going to put into practice this morning. Uh, we were talking about uh, false teachers and prophets and uh, what their influence is and how they affect God's people, particularly drawing out of our scripture reading in Jeremiah, if you've been reading through the Bible with us, you're into Jeremiah by now, um, and uh, the last couple of days where Jeremiah has been told, don't even, <laughs> don't even pray for them anymore, and we talked about the need to just keep preaching, and about the possibility of doing something really unique in a service, and this, I made the statement that I would love to try some things out, but I would never do that. Because the time we spend together in God's Word is so tiny already that to waste any of it with any kind of experimentation just to see what kind of rise I would get out of people, it was just poor stewardship. And we already have such a short amount of time that we really spend in God's Word together on a given week. If you add it together... Um, it is less than one movie that you watch in a theater, and uh, that's just one point of contact that the society has with you. Uh, that doesn't mention any television shows. You combine all 
the preaching you're going to hear today, if you get 45 minutes or so this morning, uh, and then again tonight, maybe 35 minutes, uh, we're still not up to one movie, are we? And so the this time is so precious because it's so rare. I know in your mind you're thinking, well, I'm here every Sunday. Well, how often are you sitting in front of your television? How often do you spend time in the newspaper or online? How many hours do you spend in front of your Facebook page? Search, browsing, or surfing, that's the word, surfing. Now you begin, if you start really cataloging your week, to realize just how rare this time is. And so, yes, this morning, I don't really want to preach. It happens occasionally, not often, but occasionally it happens. Uh, and rarer and rarer these days, it seems. Um, but today is one of those days you wake up and the dog in the basement decided that he couldn't wait to go outside. And so you get greeted with that. Um, you come out and a, a coyote or something has killed one of your animals. And you get to bury that on your way to church. Um, this is not a great day. And then on top of that is a lot of other stuff. This has gone on all week. But it's so rare a time that I can't squander one time. Just because I'm not in the mood. So we're going to pray a little differently. You probably already noticed that this morning before the message. Um, I need you to pray for me. I'm not in the mood to preach. Not of the. I'm not in a. Not just in not in a mood. I'm just not. Interested. We'll talk a little more about that tonight. Maybe. Let's go and pray though. Lord God, need your help this morning. Don't know if we're ready for what you have to share. Probably not. We're captivated with our own lives, our own interests, our own priorities, our own gods. We've taken this time aside to at least pretend to spend some time with you. And Lord, if that's the case, we pray that you might have your hand heavy on us. Yeah, Lord, you've called us to serve you sometimes to serve you out of sheer duty. Lord, we pray that you might transform this time from a time of simply obeying you because we should to a time when you, your work in our life is so wonderful that we wonder how we could do without we do pray that you might guard this time. Not only the what we normally pray for, to guard it from error, from opinion, from philosophies, but Lord, guard it from disinterest. Your word might go forth. 
whether it reaps a harvest of righteousness or a harvest of judgment in these lives, that it might go forth to your praise, obedience to your word. We thank you for it. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are coming into a passage of Scripture that we're going to try to wrap up, and I doubt we'll get it finished this morning. I keep saying we're going to finish it, but I don't know that that's going to happen. We're going to try. Um, Coming off of last week's sermon, which um, if you missed it, I'm sorry it didn't get recorded, and you should have been here. Uh, It was a whopper. Scary, some of those sermons. About accountability, and about the need to hold ourselves to a standard, and a standard that the world understands we're supposed to live up to and that we ought to hold each other up to as a church body and ultimately knowing that there is the standard, Jesus Christ, that we will one day stand in front of. And that message of accountability is really wrapped up in all of chapter 8 and 9 in this area of Paul holding the Corinthians to their word. And all these arguments that he has placed put forth and saying, here's why you need to give. And it's not to save face, um, but there's an aspect of that in these chapters that, you know, you made a very bold commitment, a very bold pledge, a promise. And that boldness has produced some great things in other people, that bold pledge, but now it's time for you to uh, do the hard part. It's always easy to make the bold declaration, isn't it? It's a whole other story when you've got to follow it up with actually doing it. And so he's confronted the Corinthians about their giving, but he wants to make sure that giving is rightly motivated. And we talked about the means for any obedience on our part to God uh, to be properly motivated is dependent upon several key elements. And if these elements are not in your life, then... Frankly, the rest of this doesn't have anything to do with you. Uh, it, you're not going to be able to, ina- to to enact it. It's just not going to happen in your life. And so if you don't have that first principle, that is that I am God's, <laughs> all that I am, all that I am is now His. He is Lord. He is Master. I am servant, slave. And if that is not our spirit within us, then it will be impossible for you to do what Paul commands us to do with regard to the material things in life, of our money and things, um, as well as any other step of obedience in anywhere along the line. But once we have that in place, that, Lord, all that I am is yours, well... It's a pretty easy thing now if I've given them everything to come in and, you know, give him back what's already his. And my giving can be cheerful and generous because it's not mine. It's not mine. I'm just a steward. I've already recognized his ownership. I'm just being a good steward. I'm, you know... If you're working at a restaurant and you got the till, that's the cash register, and the owner of the restaurant comes in and opens that thing and says, give me 100 bucks out of the till, um, you don't say, uh-uh, I collected this this week. 
I, I sold some food today. I worked hard. Today. You're not going to get anything out of my till. Well, folks, you know what's going to happen next. You're going to be looking for a job. Because that isn't your register. That's your boss's register. And he has the right to come and take out of it whatever he desires. And so if we recognize Jesus as our Lord, as owning us, we recognize he has a right to demand of us anything and everything. Now, while we sit and miserly squabble over how much we should give, um, others are paying in a very different currency. They're paying a currency of blood. They're paying a currency of being kicked out of their family, for Christ's name. That's the currency that they're giving in. While we squabble over giving in the currency of paper and coin, um, we are foolish not to think about what God really demands of us. These are trivial things. We then found a principle followed on of the example there in in, uh, Macedonia. We've followed these through that giving is not about law, it's about grace. And that we cannot come to the passage before us in chapter 9, verses 6 and following and bring any legal argument there and put any legal demands on one another, nor can we take any legal pride in any of it. But rather, we come to a passage like this and we realize this is a grace of God and there is no pride. Um, God has given me a willingness, a liberality, a generosity to give and it's His gift to me. And so when I give, it is not look for me, it's Praise God. And this is why we take many steps to, uh, I take steps as well as our church, but I take personal steps to disconnect myself from knowing who gives what. Why? Because the praise isn't to any individual. The praise is to God. And if anyone is giving with the idea of uh, wanting praise of men, they just negated their entire gift. It has become worthless, vain, empty, void. So we come to this idea that giving is a grace, not a law. And if that principle is not in place in your life, then verses 6, 7, and following of 2 Corinthians 9 will be impossible. We have studied these out in those other places, but we... It is bearing repeating here before we get into it. Now we come into some principles directly. We're going to deal with these even though we touched on them in the past as we went through chapter 8. And it begins with this sowing and the idea of investment. And that's really what this passage is about. It's about investment. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You go out into your field into your garden and you put one seed out there, you don't go back home and then come out the next day and are disappointed that you only have one plant growing. You only put out one seed. What did you expect to come back? 
But I have heard too many of our prosperity gospel people taking this kind of a passage and abusing it to think that somehow if you sow money in terms of giving, if you give a hundred, God's going to repay it by a thousand. I mean, you heard that kind of talk. Come on, it's out there. That, and it's foolishness. It's, it's, it's rot is what it is. And, and the Bible even says so. Don't you know that you don't reap what you don't put in? What you put in the ground is not what comes out of the ground. You put a seed in the ground, a seed doesn't jump up out of the ground. It doesn't get to be a bigger and bigger seed. Rather, what comes out of the ground is a plant. The seed dies, and something different comes from it. What is born out of it is this plant, and the plant, yes, can then produce other seed, but fundamentally, what you're trying to get from that seed is not another big seed. You're trying to get another plant, a plant. And so as we sow of this world, we are investing in something of another world. What we're wanting to reap is not more money, and that is just a a feeding the greed and the ab- the, the avarice of, of the world. We want more. We want more. Oh, if this, if, so if I give you a hundred and I pray and then and, and you touch it and pray for it, I'm going to expect a thousand to just my peer my wallet. What a bunch of foolishness. Do you really think that what you're sowing is what you're planning on reaping? We want, rather, to sow bountifully of this world with an expectation of reaping bountifully in another world. Of reaping spiritual fruit today, not material fruit. And this we're going to bring out a little bit later on. Let's just go ahead and jump. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower, he's still following the same uh, illustration from verse 6. He who supplies seed to the sower... Bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase, watch very carefully, increase the fruits of your righteousness. What is the fruits of our righteousness? So Paul says you're giving now as, a, as an exercise of the grace of God in conformity with the fact that you've already given of yourself to God and therefore the other stuff is of secondary importance um, or tertiary importance. And so you, you've given yourself to God. Now uh, a few of your shekels or denarii or dollars uh, are meaningless really in comparison. But you're going to sow bountifully and what you are designed to reap is an increase in fruits. A fruitfulness that God wants for our lives. That in His goodness He desires us to be fruitful And again, fruitfulness for this Christian is not about material wealth. We see material wealth as a mechanism whereby, by good management and proper application uh, and good investment, and not in the stock market, but good investment in the work of God can reap an increase of righteousness. That here our righteousness can be multiplied. Because once I start to disconnect uh, my ideas of success and my ideas of, of being happy with material things and fleshly things, once I start to sever that in my thinking, 
by my behavior in which I have illustrated that I am God's. And this stuff is going to just burn up anyway. It's just money. It's just a building. It's just a car. It's just stuff. Once I begin to put it in its proper perspective, now I am ready to delve into that which is of lasting value. And so the Philippians need, or the Corinthians need to keep their promise. Why? Because it's an act of righteousness. You made a commitment. Fulfill your commitment. And by so doing, you're going to multiply, you're going to increase your righteousness. Keep reading verse 11. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. One of the fruits of your righteousness in being responsive and receptive to the grace of God in our life is thanksgiving. Now, I would love to preach this message a month from now. A month and a half from now. Um, but this is going to be the pre-thanksgiving message. Here we go. One of the fruits of your righteousness is not pastor coming over and patting you on the back and taking notice. And I do do that occasionally, usually with young people. When they make choices for righteousness, I usually identify it. And I try to let them know I noticed. And that I'm trying to encourage them that if I notice, God noticed. And that, that you've demonstrated a different priority in your life. And God's pleased with it. And young people need to hear that from me. You might say, well, so do us old people. Um, you shouldn't. Because you should know God's word. That your righteousness, is the fruit of righteousness, is not you being recognized by me. It's not by you being applauded by the church. Your righteousness, the fruit of it, is thanks to God. That God's people, when they see and hear righteousness in others' lives, are moved to give glory to God. That that is the fruit that we want to pick from the tree of righteousness is thanksgiving to God. And Paul says, listen, I want to thank God. Did you notice how many of his letters he talks about it? In, in Ephesians and Philippians. I thank the Lord for you. Well, that's not just a figure of speech. He's saying, listen, there are some things going on in your churches that I'm so excited about. And one of, the fruit, one of the fruits I can give to you, one of the increases I can give to your righteousness is not to thank you, but to thank the Lord for His grace in your life. God has given us such grace. And isn't God great? Well, I had a little part to play in that. No, you didn't. <laughs> No, you didn't. The part you had to play was so insignificant, it's not even worth mentioning. But we keep rehearsing it. And I get into that too sometimes. Uh, every year, we, we at the beginning of the year, we talk about who had perfect attendance for the year. Um, and we might want to applaud those people, but really, it should move us to thank the Lord. The increase that Paul's talking about here is not your personal financial increase. 
the increase that he's talking about is that as a result of your righteousness, you're going to increase in righteousness, and that increase in righteousness is going to produce something not just for you, it is to your account, if you will, in heaven, but among you, plural, you all, is going to be this thanksgiving to God, that we can praise God together because there's righteousness in our midst. That the church people gather together with a spirit of thanksgiving. They just can't wait to be thankful to God. And so Paul says, listen, we want thanksgiving through us to God. And this is what we are wanting to reap. When you are sowing, whether it is materially, spiritual, you know, whether it's the gospel you're sowing, whether it's in relationships, whether it's at work and your work ethic, when you are sowing righteousness, what you are wanting to reap, the, the reward, if you will, the payoff, is when God is thanked. You are not putting all that in the ground, hoping that you'll get that back, plus interest. That that economy is not God's economy, and frankly, that economy is kind of stupid. Why in the world would you want to reap a bunch of stuff that isn't going to last? Think about it. I'm going to take this investment, I'm going to invest it in something, I'm going to get something, I want to get more of what I just put in back out of it, and then I'm going to carry this great big bundle, and uh, oh, it all gets destroyed. So I just have more of it to be destroyed than the next guy. So who's suffered the greater loss? See, it doesn't, it's no logic to it. But once you begin to understand that you're investing with re- stupid things, I mean, paper and coin and, and these, you know, minuscule things that aren't going to last, that just e- evaporate right in front of you sometimes, and you put them in there for the glory of God, and then you can reap this thanksgiving to God, which happens not just on earth, folks. Thanksgiving to God, Philippians tells us, is an aroma that reaches the very nostrils of God in heaven. Whoa. And that lasts eternally. So if I plant an acorn in the ground, I'm not hoping to get a bigger acorn out when it's done. I'm hoping to get a tree that I can reap acorns from for a long, long time, maybe my whole life. Brethren, we need to be investing ourselves in righteousness with a perspective that looks far into the future and say, I want to invest this righteousness today. I don't need it to be paid off today. I don't, in fact, I really don't even want a payoff today because if I get a payoff today, whatever is paid off today is going to be gone today. I want a payoff way down there, one that lasts forever. And the way it is... The way to know that that's going on is when God's people not just 
your little church, but God's people universal, all rejoicing and thanksgiving to God because there's righteousness in that little spot of ground in Albuquerque. And there's one little people there that want to do things biblically and godly. So I can respond and say, well, you know, we're trying to do it the biblical way, and it's hard, and it's not much fun sometimes, and, but we're investing, we're investing, and we're investing, and, and from a world perspective, it looks like there's no payoff. Well, good. Because we're not looking for an immediate payoff. We're looking for an enduring investment. When God's people grasp that and see that and give thanks to God, that is the evidence that we are going the right direction. And I would just like to put forth another idea, which is dangerous um, whenever I do this, that the opposite is also true. That when there is unrighteousness, our investment in the thanksgiving to God is diminished. I want to be careful. Um, we rob God's people of an opportunity to praise God when we invest ourselves in sin. We simply rob them of it. I've not been to any church discipline meeting where everyone's going, well, just praise the Lord. This is just wonderful. And one of our number is in sin. Unrepentantly. Praise the Lord. No one's doing that, are they? No, we're crushed. We're, we're confused. We're, we're disappointed. We're frustrated. We're saddened. We're, we're, we're grieving. It produces the opposite. And I just want to share with you as a pastor that seeing unrighteousness in our church is a grieving point. And there is no... Thank you, Lord, going on during the week in my study. When wave after wave after wave is sin that I hear of. Whether it's innuendo, gossip, suspicion, it doesn't matter. Why don't I hear of righteousness? Why isn't that the testimony? And I grant you that if that were the case, I would be in my office with a very different tone. It would be a thankful one. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for their righteousness, for their faithfulness, for their stand, for their desire to serve and worship and glorify your name. That is what God says is the fruit of of your righteousness is when he is thanked by his people. Not only that, it is the proof of true ministry. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, 
they, that is those that are watching you, remember in accountability, they're all watching you, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. So you're putting in the seed, and the seed in this case for the Corinthians was their money. And they're going to sock a bunch of money in this whole, uh, in the soil of Jerusalem. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen, is that all the saints are going to glorify God because you obeyed and did what you said you were going to do. And that is proof of your ministry, the proof of the gospel in your life. And yes, you've shared with them, and they're going to be so excited about having their needs met. Certainly, they'll be glad to have their, something in their tummy, finally. But they're all going to be glorifying God because of your obedience. Isn't that really what we want to be going on in the world today? Is the world glorifying God because of my obedience? Not praising me. Not patting me on the back. Not stroking my ego. But glorifying God. Because there's somebody out there that wants to do righteousness. And by the way, when the world glorifies God, this is how they do it. I don't like you. When Christians glorify God, which is what this is referring to, it's going to, they're going to be rejoicing. And they may or may not tell you it's not relevant. Really, you don't want them to say to pat you on the back because then you've gotten your reward and you just lost your eternal investment. They gave you an acorn in exchange for an acorn. They robbed you of the tree. Oh, that we would have that mentality. Please don't thank me. Glorify God. Give your thanksgiving to Him. Is my fruit. And so, it, but I want you to notice we kind of skipped it. It is the proof of this ministry. You're proving your ministry by obedience. And so it's not just they should just be thankful we have our life clubs. No, um, that's not enough. The proof of the ministry is that we are doing this in absolute obedience. We don't care the cost to us. We are going to obey God. We are going to give the gospel out. And our whole focus is the Lord, and we don't need anyone to thank us for it. That's proof that it's really ministry and not some selfish endeavor. Is when all we want is God to be glorified. We're still not done. The fruit still hasn't been fully formed. We still have more. It says in verse 14 and for their prayer for you. Your obedience, one of the fruits of your obedience, one of the increases, one of the things you're trying to get that God offers as a fruit of obedience. You obey, here's what's going to happen. God's people will be praying for you a lot differently than in your disobedience. When people are disobedient, let me tell you how I pray for them. Lord, 
convict them. Lord, judge them. Lord, if they resist, take them away. I don't mean leave the church. I mean die. Do what you did to the Corinthians. I don't know about you, but I really don't want anyone to pray that way about me. (laughs) Okay? But that is how I pray. Because that's a biblical way of praying. Go through the scriptures. Find out how to deal with Christians caught in sin. Lord, convict them. Bring godly sorrow in the life that brings repentance. Lord, judge them. Lord, take them. If they're going to resist you, just take them. It's better for your namesake that they be taken than allow them to persist without repentance in their sin. That is not how I want to pray for any of you. I don't think that's what Paul's referring to about their praying for you. I don't think anyone in Haiti is praying for that for Desert Hills Baptist Church. I can tell you what they're praying for you. Because I've heard they're praying. It's in Haitian. I don't understand it, but I've heard them praying. It was good. I can tell by the look on their faces. Not by the words they spoke. You want... I have people come and say, pray for me, Pastor. I'm like, um, really? You know what the fruit of righteousness is? One of the fruits is people pray for you. You don't even have to ask them. There no, you're taking a stand where you're at for God in righteousness. They're going to pray for you. They know that you're willing to make a sacrifice for God's name. They're going to pray for you. They see you following through and fulfilling the commitments you've made in life. They're going to pray for you. And that prayer is going to be a powerful one. Oh, thank you, Lord, for them. And Lord, just bless them and strengthen them and enable them to keep on keeping on what they're doing. That's the kind of praying I want for me. And that's the kind of praying I want to do for you. But the condition of that kind of praying is you sow seeds of righteousness. Then, And only then will God's people pray like that for you. That is the fruit. It is the increase of your righteousness. Why would I pray God's blessing on you if you're not obeying Him? I never would. In fact, I'm even... Very qualified in my praying. A few of you know this because you listen carefully and I've heard you entered into your prayer lives too on Thursday nights. I'm very qualified that if, and I'll pray even for other pastors, for our men in India and the lost things, and I qualify it and I'll say, Lord, bless them as or if, as they follow your word. As they, which means that in accordance with their obedience, bless them. This is how I pray when I don't know whether they're obeying or not. Lord, bless them as they follow your truth. Which means that if they're not following your truth, don't bless them at all. (laughs) But when I do know whether there's righteousness or unrighteousness going on, I pray accordingly. And one of the fruits of righteousness is that you get this kind of praying for you. And, the, and Paul says, listen, Corinthians, you sow this little bit of money that can't last anyway. It's, it disappears and 
it, it, people take it away, the government takes it, whatever. It, you, you sow this, this dumb thing, this foolish thing called money, and here's a fruit that you're going to get from it. God's people are praying for you like they never prayed for you before. Lord, bless them because they obeyed you. Because they fulfilled their commitment because they saw the great need of their fellow believers in a distant land that they never will meet till glory. And yet they felt their need so great that they gave of their wealth to meet that need. Lord, bless them. Strengthen them. Multiply them. You want that kind of praying on your behalf? You're going to have to sow some righteousness. Sorry. It's the only way. You can go till the soil as much as you want, but you don't put a seed in it, you ain't getting nothing. you got to plant the seed. Because we know what comes out of soil that has no seeds in it, just weeds. <laughs> put a seed in there of righteousness and see the reward. And we're not done yet. Verse 14 is going to press on and has one more phrase we haven't looked at. And it's, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Wow. They look forward to seeing you. Let's be honest. Godly people look forward to meeting godly people. I never look forward to confronting people about sin. Never do. It is my least favorite thing in the world to do. I always look forward to greeting godly men. I have a few of them in my life, fewer. Um, there's going to be fewer and fewer of them that I'm getting to know, not because they're, uh, they're not godly, but because they're dying. Some of them, my favorite people are now in heaven. They beat me there, the dirty, rotten. They beat me there, but I tell you what, I loved their coming, and I longed for it. People in Corinth, other Christians are going to be praying for you, and they're going to be longing for you. They're going to long for you because of your, the exceeding grace of God in you, they're going to long for you. And whether that be here on earth, that, boy, if I ever come up against one of those Corinthians, I'm going to give him the biggest bear hug that I have in me, and I just can't wait to see him. He's, I'm going to have a grin from ear to ear. But not only that in terms of the earthly realm, but that longing for, I can't wait. You know, there's some people in heaven I want to meet. There's some people in heaven I want to be reunited with. Because there's some of them I've never met that I have been the great benefactor of. I am the great benefactor of some men who gave their very lives so that I could have the Scripture in my language. Those men I want to meet. Because of their obedience that cost them their very lives, their obedience to the gospel of Christ, I continue to thank God because now I have the Scriptures in my language. And I know it's easy for us to just go to the bookstore, order it online, and we don't think anything of it, but people died to get this to you. I can't wait to see them and greet them in heaven. There's others I want to be reunited with because I miss them here on earth that I have known 
and seen face to face. So whether it's longing for their presence here and, and just enjoying their fellowship and the time we can spend with each other and, and the time of, of sharpening and encouraging and challenging each other through God's Word. And, they're, they're, and I know that some of you young people have a little bit of that with camp and, and hopefully that's some part of camp to you. The opportunity to get there and engage with these Christian kids that maybe you only see that once a year. Of course, now you guys have all the internet and all that stuff, but um, you still have that, that sharpening opportunity. I long to see them. The people of God long to see faithful, righteous servants of God. And Paul says to the Corinthians, be that. Be that. That's one of your fruits, is that now when you're out there and, and we're having an emissary from the Corinthian church show up, really? <laughs> Can I have them in my house? <laughs> because of the testimony of their faithful obedience. We're not going to cross the street to avoid them. We can't wait to match eye to eye and just rejoice with them because the grace of God was so at work in their life. Wow, this is some pretty good fruit. Yes, it's so great that Paul has to conclude by saying thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The fact is, is that you don't have righteousness to sow of your own. Let's start there. I know this is the conclusion. This is the start of the conclusion, okay? Or maybe it's the start of the sermon. I'm done with the introduction. Anyway, let's start there. You don't have righteousness of your own to sow. You don't have any seed. When we accept Christ Jesus as our Savior, one of the first things He gives us is a bag of seed. It's called His righteousness. To keep the metaphor going that we're using. And we're now can plunk it aside, we can set it on a shelf, we can put it in our pocket, we can do whatever. God says, I want you to sow that. I want you to live it. I want you to put it to work. What it was intended for. And so it's not just, it's not gifts, plural, it's a gift. His indescribable gift. The gospel is a wonderful gift that the righteousness of Christ you have, you have now something to sow in your life. But the fact also remains that you still have a package of tares in your pocket called the flesh of unrighteousness that you can also sow. And you're going to choose every day which one of these bags of seed you're going to sow in your life. Every day, multiple times a day, you're going to have to choose. Am I going to sow righteousness or am I going to sow unrighteousness? Am I going to sow the flesh or am I going to sow the spirit? Am I going to sow obedience or am I going to sow disobedience? Am I going to have these blessings that God is thanked when people think of how I'm living my life, that they're glorifying God, that they're praying for God to bless me, that they are longing to be with me? Am I getting that kind of fruit? If you're sowing the right seed, you will. Seeds of righteousness. If you sow seeds of sin, 
We know what that leads to. Misery. Despair. Judgment. Kind of prayers we talked about. We don't want those. We don't want avoidance. We don't want isolation. We don't want an absence of thanksgiving to God for us. And we don't want our ministry to be disproven. That's what sowing unrighteousness brings. And so you're out there trying to present the gospel, but you've sown unrighteousness in your life. What's the result? You've disproved your ministry. And the very people you're trying to reach with the gospel will spurn the gospel because they're going to see unrighteousness in your life. The proof of ministry is when we've sown righteousness and we reap this wonderful goodness of God. That God's glorified. That ministry is proved. That people are praying for you, for God to bless you. That they're longing to be with you and to see you. This is the reaping that's talked about in verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. It is not more money if you give money. That's not our promise. And if that's why you give, well, stop. It's bad math. It doesn't work. Prosperity preachers are wrong. Give it up. I want you to sow bountifully. But what I want you to sow might involve some money, but it might involve a lot of other things. But fundamentally, what Paul's really referring to is sowing righteousness so that we can reap bountifully. But the bountifulness that we want to reap is not money that we've put in a... but really the fruit of the thanksgiving being made to God. That God is glorified as a result of how I live my life. He's given you a precious gift. If you're here and a believer, He's given you a gift of righteousness. You didn't deserve it. Didn't earn it. Christ earned it for you. And He shares it with you. His righteousness when we discard it, when we set it on a shelf, when we just tuck it away and never sow it as it was intended, not only brings misery into your life, you bring damage to the righteousness of Christ. So, righteousness, that you may reap God's bounty that God may be thanked, that the brethren may pray for you, that your ministry might be proven, that others along to see you. In the end, may it be said of this ministry of Desert Baptist Church, God be thanked. God be thanked. In the end, may it be said of you as an individual, me, God be thanked for them. That is our aspiration. That is our desire. That is the fruit we long to pick. 
The Holy Spirit will till your soil. But you need to sow in it righteousness. If you want to reap that kind of fruit. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. And indeed, it is very precious. And thank you for this instruction. Lord, we pray that you might forgive us of thinking foolishly of this worldliness that we're going to sow money and reap money, more money. That's pretty worthless. We recognize it now. We see that hopefully the much greater value of the real fruit that you desire us to have if we will sow righteousness with sincerity. That we have an opportunity to take these miserable frames, this flesh, and bring you glory. Lord, this we marvel at. But we also know, Lord, we need your help. Because we're not very good at it. And you promised to give us that help through your word, through your people, through your spirit. We have them all here right now, Lord. Work in us. Lord, I'm convinced some in this room need your conviction. Lord, if they continue to Resist it. They need your judgment. They resist that, Lord. Take them away. Don't let them tarnish your name any more than they have. Lord, there are some here who are deciding what they will sow this week. I pray that we, each one, that we as a people, that we individually, a purpose in our hearts even now, we sow righteousness. We take that stand. Lord, we want a fruitful life. We want your name glorified in us. We want to enjoy the prayers and the fellowship of other godly people. Or we want this ministry proven as genuine, true. Or we know to do so requires us to be blameless. Help us to sow righteousness as we've never done it before. This week, day in and day out, hour by hour, we might sow, not sparingly, but bountifully. We might sow righteous everywhere we go. We might do so with abandon. That we might see a great fruitfulness come forth.
Lord, I know that some here only have enough faith to plant a few seeds of righteousness this week. Lord, use that in their life to convince them of your goodness. They might lay hold of that truth, that evidence, and let it convince them to to sow bountifully. Lord, ultimately, ultimately we look forward to your coming. Maybe. Maybe some here aren't looking forward to it because of what we've been sowing. Lord, I'm looking forward to it. Not just to an escape of this world and its terrors. That your name might be praised by all lips. That every knee might bow. And Lord, please forgive me if anything in my life has prevented men from glorifying your name. Cleanse me of it. Help me to yank those weeds out of that soil of your life, of your work in our life. I can reap by sowing. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.